0: Today is a Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, publicly as a Messiah, and the crowd greeted him with palm branches. Jesus came to the capital of Israel, not on a stallion, but on a donkey, not just any donkey, but an untried, clumsy colt, because he's a king of peace, not a king of force. Regarding the actual celebration of a first Palm Sunday, feel free to check out my last year's Palm Sunday sermon on our website under the title of a King's Call. For Palm Sunday 2021, I want to focus on the end point of a Palm Sunday. What was the end point of a Palm Sunday? Christ entered Jerusalem to be crowned as the Messiah and the King. That's the end point. And his end point is none other than his coronation. Every king begins his reign officially from his coronation. As you know, Jesus' coronation came on Good Friday. Our king was coronated on the cross. His reign begins from the cross. Pope Benedict uh, 16th, Rightly said, Palm Sunday tells us it is the cross that, that is the true uh, tree of a life. Palm Sunday tells us it is the cross that is a true tree of a life. Now, today we will see Christ on his way to the cross and his coronation on the cross in Mark chapter 15, 21 to 32. So let me read. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus, Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called the Golgotha, which means a place of a skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with a myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. He, they cast lots to see, uh, what each would get, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. And the uh, verse 28 is missing many of uh, your Bible because uh, the earlier manuscript doesn't include. But let me read a verse 28 for you. All the scripture was fulfilled which says, that he was numbered with the transgressors. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah, prophecy of Isaiah. Now, verse 29. Those who passed by hurled insult at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple, build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him, among themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross and we may see and believe. Those crucified within him also heaped insult on him. As you read, Mark portrayed Christ silent, silent during his crucifixion except his last cry Later in the Mark chapter 15, verse 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will look at that verse, this Good Friday service. Now, Mark described three characters surrounding Jesus' crucifixion or coronation. And these three characters are Simon of Siren and soldiers who crucified Christ and then skeptics such as the chief priests and scribes and then, uh, and then others crowd. All three of them teach us important thing. One, they teach us a marble of God's grace, and number two is a misery of God's suffering love. Number three, mighty mercy of God, mighty mercy of God. So marble from God's uh, marble of the cross, and. Uh, Misery of a suffering love and the mighty mercy of God. Now, first, Mark told us Simon who carried the cross of Christ. According to Roman law, the person condemned to crucifixion was to carry his own cross beam. In the case of Jesus, Jesus was too weak to carry his own cross because right before he uh, today's story, he was uh, tortured. By Roman soldiers in what is called a Roman scourging, Roman scourging or flagellum in Latin. The nickname of a scourging, Roman scourging was a half death because uh, many people, uh, more than half, who were lashed by a whip with a metal balls and bones and spikes actually did not survive but die. So the Roman soldiers, uh, Jesus couldn't carry his own uh, cross. So soldiers forced the innocent bystander to carry it instead. Now let's see the way Mark described Simon. First, verse 21, A certain man from Siren Simon, father of Alexander, uh, Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. First off, Simon was from Cyrene. Cyrene was today's Libya. And Cyrene was the most important Roman colony in North Africa at the time, next to the Egypt. Egypt was not considered as Africa, more like, you know, its, its own entity. Now, if you look at the map, there was a large Jewish community. Do you see Cyrene on the tip right there? Okay, let me show you. Right there, There there's a siren, and Jerusalem is here, Rome is there. Okay, all right, now back. Uh, So, there was a uh, large Jewish communities in uh, in Siren. And so, Simon was a Hellenistic Jew, or a so-called diaspora Jew. Diaspora means dispersion. Ever since the Babylonian exile, and the Alexander Great, and the Roman conquest, Jews were scattered all over the world. At the time, Simon was in Jerusalem as many expat Jews came to celebrate the Passover. We don't know how Roman soldiers picked him among the crowd, but definitely, now look at me, that was not his plan, right? Verse 21 says, he was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. So if you were Simon, how do you have felt about this unexpected turn of event? Simon probably felt very unfortunate and even unjust. What have I done to deserve this kind of shame and audio? I have to carry a, a hundred pounds heavy beam on my shoulder in this long detour streets of Jerusalem for this failed Messiah that i never met before? Man, I'm definitely going to cancel my gold gym membership. And uh, I'm going to get rid of all these muscles. What a misfortune. Luke describe this unlucky stride of Simon a little differently. Look at the Luke 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him, Jesus, away, they seized Simon from Siren. Cy- uh, they seized him, who was on his way in from the Jerusalem in from the country, and put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, can you picture Simon of a Syrian carrying the cross behind Jesus in what we call Via Dolorosa or way of the road of suffering? Here, Simon of Assyrian was denied his right carrying the cross and following jesus does description sound familiar that's what mark described the discipleship of jesus earlier in mark chapter 8 34 then jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. Do you know that Simon somehow became a disciple to follow Jesus after today's event? For that, we need to pay attention to Mark's second description about Simon. Today's text says Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why in the world Mark include this seemingly irrelevant? or what New Testament uh, scholars call the incidental, incidental details. Usually, when the Bible introduces a man, it introduces him by his father, not by his sons. That's the Jewish way. For instance, Peter, when Jesus commanded Peter in the Matthew 16, that blessed are you, Simon, what? Son of Jonah, or Ba Jonah. It is not Revealed to you by flesh and blood by my Father in heaven, right? Do you remember? And what about uh, James and John? When they were introduced, they were introduced as sons of uh, Zebedee, their father. So why then did Mark introduce Simon by his sons? It was because Mark's audience knew Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus. Now, Who was Mark's immediate audience? Who did he write his gospel for? Mark wrote his gospel for Roman Christians. According to New Testament, Mark worked in the church of Rome under Peter and possibly under Paul. Paul actually asked for Mark at the end of his life in the last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul actually said, The only Luke is with me and get Mark and bring him, with me, bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So Mark served the church of Rome. Now, where does Rufus come again? Look at the Romans 16, verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. When Paul wrote his letter to Roman church, he personally greeted Rufus and his mother. And who is his mother? Simon's wife. Some liberal biblical scholars can believe this uncanny link and take the Marx description coincidental. How about you? Those of us who studied the Marx gospel in this spring, we know that Mark wrote his gospel, not just so short, but seriously with deep connections and incredible spiritual insight. So a biblical commentator said, Why does Mark notice the incidental detail? It is not incidental to Mark as he makes a significant theological point by including it. It seems clear that Alexander Rufus was well known to the community for whom Mark was written. They were disciples whose father carried the cross of Jesus, and there is a theological rub. Mark uses the same language here that carries a cross as he used in Mark 8.34. This Simon, rather than the Simon who denied Jesus three times, talking about Simon Peter, carried the cross of Jesus. Mark's narrative book ends his story with a Simon who was a first disciple called and the Simon who actually played the role of a disciple in the passion narrative. Discipleship entails cross-bearing. Now, here we see the mystery that the coronation of Christ on the cross impart to us, whether voluntary or involuntary. When, when, when When you follow suffering Christ with his cross, and you you watch him in his agony, you will begin to wonder, who is this man? Who is this Jesus so calm, so focused, while the most painful torture and worst insult was cast upon him one after another? The prolonged look at Jesus, creates a marble in our heart about God and his love for sinners. What God has suffered for sinners? Do you know any other religion talks about crucified Savior? Later, I'm going to read a, a passage from this short book. Martin Hengel's. Hengel is a German theologian. It's a, uh, it's a book called the Crucifixion. And in the ancient world and the folly of a message of the cross. It's on less than hundred page. It's an incredible. Uh, I'm sorry, it has some of a Greek, but actual words are awesome. He's basically saying how offensive cross was to non-Christians. And even Christians struggled. Those who didn't understand the true meaning of the gospel, such as early churches, uh, first heretics called the Gnostics, one of the reasons uh, Gnostics deny the uh, incarnation, the flesh of uh, the you know, the flesh reality of Christ, is uh, because they are ashamed of the cross. Now, that's the second point we will see today. Mark's second character in the coronation of Jesus was. Roman soldiers who crucified him. Let's look at at some details, especially uh, Mark's intention behind this uh, description. So verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Now, first, the place of a crucifixion was a Golgotha. In English, Golgotha is called a Calvary. Why? It came from the Latin word Calva, which means Uh, So we call Calvary, Golgotha Calvary in a Latinized, you know, term. Second, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus didn't take it. They offered Jesus a kind of a narcotic drink to soothe his excruciating pain. This humane practice was based on the biblical, in the Bible verse, such as Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. Give a strong drink to him who is a perishing and wine to those in the bitter distress. Let him drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But Jesus refused to take the drink because our Lord wants to focus, face our sin with a clear conscience and consciousness and focus on God's forgiveness. Now, verse 24 said, they crucified him. Here, the New Testament scholars recognized that Mark recorded the actual fact of Jesus' crucifixion with a quote, utmost restraint or brevity. brevity. Because the details were too familiar in Roman world. Also, Roman sensibility found the crucifixion too offensive. For instance, Cicero, great Roman orator said, even the mere word word cross must remain far not only from the lips of citizens of Rome, but also from their thought, their eyes, and their ears. Elsewhere, Cicero calls a crucifixion the uh, grossest, cruelest, or most hideous manner of execution. That's why Roman laws forbid crucifying its own citizens. And the Roman citizens, in case of a capital punishment, they were beheaded. That's what happened to Apostle Paul, while Peter is a Jew, so he was, I mean, he was non-Roman citizen, so he was crucified. By the way, crucifixion was not invented by Romans. It was invented by Persians about 500 years before Christ. But it was the Romans who perfected crucifixion, who practiced widely against anyone who challenged the Rome's reign. In particular, Palestine saw, Palestine saw many crucifixion because of several messianic movements. So first century Jewish historian Josephus described the crucifixion, quote, the most wretched of all ways of dying. And 1986, Journal of American Medical Association actually published a a, a article, series of articles about the medical cause of a crucifixion, medical cause of death in crucifixion. And if you Google it, you can read a whole. It's long, but let me read a sum of the summary so that we can see clearly what Mark skipped. Mark skipped it because his audiences are familiar with the crucifixion, but we are not. So let me let me remind you what crucifixion is. So that's the second point, the misery. Misery of a suffering love. Okay? Jesus, so is there I, I, so biblical archaeology, they have a picture of a person who was crucified back then. So keep this picture while I'm reading. Jesus was attached to the cross with the spikes five to seven inches long that were driven one each through his wrist and one through the both of his feet. There are no major arteries at the size of a nailing, but the spikes may hit any of a number of a crucial major ner- nerves. What would have resulted would be excruciating fire, fiery bolts of a pain in both arms. Jesus would have been suspended with much of his weight borne by his arms with his legs bent under him. In the classic symptoms of crucifixion, the position would have almost immediately started to reduce his respiratory capacity, initiating a gradual lessening of oxygen, being mixed into his bloodstream, and setting the stage for eventual asphyxiation. Suffering would have been intense since severe muscle cramps, agonizing shooting pain, from the nerve injuries and the struggles to maintain breathing by lifting the weight of his body with his arms, could have been combined with such discomfort as an insect burrowing into his ears and eyes and nose, and often birds of a prey attacking the wounds. Because of the way Jesus' respiratory system was compromised, speaking, and the Bible said that Jesus spoke seven times on the cross, it would have been excruciatingly painful. Because exhalation, the component of a breathing that permits speech, is a most agonizing to a crucifixion victim. Because a chest roll in the respiration would have been severely curtailed, Jesus was probably controlling his intake of air and oxygen with the muscles of his abdomen. Eventually the combination of a blood loss before the crucifixion and the toll of his ordeal itself would have brought on something called hypobolemic shock, a state similar to what occurs in severe bleeding victims who are about to die. Meanwhile, the stress on Jesus' respiratory system would have precipitated symptoms like those of a congestive heart failure and blood clots would have begun to form in the major arteries of the valves of the heart. Eventually, in the last moment of a Christ's agony, one of the clots may have a broken loose precipitating a catastrophic heart seizure that would account for biblical descriptions on apparent climactic final moment of agony. That terminal moment could have been influenced by onset of a fatal cardiac arrhythmia. According to American Medical Association report, at the end, it was possible that Jesus died of a cardiac rupture or broken heart. Now, John Stott, a great British evangelical, said this, that it was our sin that crucified Jesus. So he said this, before we began to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. It was our sin that crucified Jesus on the cross. And Jesus stayed crucified because he wanted to crucify our sin with his own body. Now, let's continue to look at the rest of the crucifixion. Dividing up his clothes, they cast a lot to see what each would get. Finally, Mark's intention here was to follow a theological script, which was the theme of a lament. For that, Mark uses Psalm 22. In um, In this story, Mark chapter 15, three times Mark alludes to Psalm 22. If you take a Livingstone Bible study, which is our you know second Bible study in our church, you will get the full, uh, 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 careful uh, connection of a cry of a Christ on the cross with the Psalm twenty two. But yeah, so yep, I, I, I'll try to save it. But uh, here three times Mark uh, make a reference to Psalm twenty two. First, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That is Psalm 22, verse 18. And also Jesus mocked by those who witnessed his humiliation. That comes also Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insult and shaking their head. That's exactly what happened. And then Jesus caught the opening line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Psalm 22 begins. Now, reading Mark chapter 15, through the lens of Psalm 22, locate the mood of this section. That is, mood of rejection, humiliation, and abandonment. Notice here. Key is this. Mark does not describe the physical suffering of Jesus as much as he concentrated on public degradation of Jesus. Public Degradation of Jesus. For Mark, main truth of the coronation of Jesus was mockery. Mockery which everyone put on Messiah. And that is our last point. Mockery is the, at the heart of the Mark's portrayal of Jesus' crucifixion, according to Ben Witherington, a great New Testament scholar. He said Jesus announced the salvation, and but what he now received was a condemnation. He was condemned by the empire, and he was condemned by his own nation. Rome executed him because he rivaled Caesar. The temple authorities executed him because he threatened their status quo. The robbers mocked him because he was a nigh prophet who thought the power of Rome could be toppled through nonviolence. So mockery is the key in the Mark's description of a Jesus coronation and crucifixion on the cross. Now, this mockery especially revealed, uh, expressed by skeptical spectators, such as a Jewish uh, leaders and, and robbers expressed that actually, that, that, that manifests the magnitude of God's mercy. So let's look at the verse 25. It is 9 in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of a charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified the two rebels, two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Again, this is a very intentional uh, description of a Mark because earlier John and James came to Jesus and asked Jesus, "Can, you know, we can you do us a favor?" You know, can you make a sit one on your right and one your left? And uh, instead of this James and John, Jesus placed himself between these two uh, criminals. Now, uh, let me talk briefly about the height of the cross. Normally, it was not much higher than the statue of a man. But occasionally, high cross was used when the Rome, they want to highlight some kind of a major political, you know, a figure that against the Roman authority. So in that case, they put this victim in the higher, you know, very higher, you know, across than others. And that's the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. And then later... You know, when the Roman soldiers tried to give some kind of sponge with the vinegar, they had to use a staff, long staff, to reach to Jesus. That actually proved that Jesus uh, 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 was crucified very high. And also, in today's text in verse 32, you know, the, the scornfuls, uh, the, the, the skeptics, they challenge Jesus, come down, come down, and uh, let us believe you. That also proved that Jesus' cross was a very high or higher than others. And now, Jesus was crucified between two criminals. NIV correctly used the term rebels, while some other English translation used the word uh, robbers or thieves. Rebels are correct because common criminals such as robbers and thieves, they are not crucified. They are not crucified. It's very plausible. I'm taking with some New Testament scholars' view that that suspected this these, ra- these rebels who are crucified with Jesus were actually friends of or associate of Barabbas. Do you know who Barabbas was? Uh, Mark 15:7 says a man called Barabbas was in prison with an insurrectionist who had a committed a murder in the uprising. And uh, you, as remember, that Pilate tried to kind of, uh, you know, gave them a choice. Okay, it's a custom to release, you know, for me to uh, give a clemency, you know, on this kind of festival day. Which one you want me to release, Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas? He thought people would definitely choose this, you know, innocent, non violent, peace loving, you know, he'll be a prophet instead of this very violent. Scary, you know, revolutionary who killed you know many people ruthlessly. Guess what? One of the most unexpected beneficiary in Jesus' coronation was a Barabbas. Because the Jewish mob chose him instead of Jesus. You know, one day I'm going to preach on a sermon titled The Luckiest People on Good Friday. I believe Barabbas. Represent all of us. Because, because Jesus took our place, just like a barabbas, we are released from our own eternal condemnation of a sin and death. So, in a way, Barabbas represent all of us. Now, verse 29, very important. Those who pass by hurled insult at Him, shaking their head and saying, So, you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Now, those who pass by means crucifixion was always done in public and by roadside. Why by roadside? So, many could pass by and see the crucified. That's the intent of a Roman crucifixion. This is a public announcement you challenge us; this will happen to you. Dare us; this will. This is how you will die. So, if crucifixion was done today, they will do Preston and George Bush right by here. The traffic is horrendous here. Don't come by mind that. Preston and George Bush avoided, you know, bit. You know. Now, there is a great Christian book. Uh, titled The Man Born to be a King by Dorothy Sayer. Anybody? Okay, I, you know, I wish it's in the in-person service, so some of you can raise your hand. I can see it right away. Now, it's a great book. Man Born to be a King by Dorothy Sayer is a great uh, detective uh, um, uh, novelist in England. She is a rival as Augusta Christie. And uh, this or her biography, imaginative, well-researched in a biography, actually play on life of Christ was so deep that uh, a Colbert read it every Lent. And C.S. Lewis read it every uh, uh, Advent season. So one of the most moving scenes in the book was when Roman soldiers were telling people to move on. Not to linger, move on. Don't make, you know, let's let's get it done. Because a lot of people came to watch. And when John, the beloved disciple, and Mary, Jesus' mother, tried to go near Jesus, the centurion was very resistant. And then Mary Magdalene came. And they know Mary Magdalene. Because Dorothy Sayer portrayed Mary Magdalene as a woman of the street, a woman of the night. So soldiers recognize her. And then so they said, oh, Mary, where, where have you been? And we haven't seen you for a while. And then, you know, Mary, and then Mary pleaded for John and, you know, Mary, uh, uh, Jesus' mother. And then they said, oh, sing us a song. Sing a song and we'll let them, let, let them stay here. And then she began to sing a song. You read, I hope you can read that in the song. Beautiful song. And she couldn't finish. And she broke down before the cross. And that led the centurion to allow John and Mary stay longer at the foot of Jesus than others. Now, verse 31. In the same way, chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said. But he can save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also heaped insult on him. Now, they challenge Jesus' come down, then they would believe. Do you think they would believe if Jesus come down? They already saw many miracles performed by Jesus before. And those miracles include resurrection of Lazarus. Yet, that didn't change their mind. Once Bertrand Russell, uh, outspoken atheist and a famous uh, non-Christian philosopher in England and mathematician, uh, he wrote a famous you know, essay called Why I'm Not a Christian. And uh, was once asked what he would do When he found out at the end, after his death, God was real. Do you know? And they asked him, what would you say when you meet God finally? Guess what Bertrand Russell said? Not enough evidence. (laughs) Not enough evidence. He will still blame God for his unbelief. You know, that's the hubris. That's a human sinful, you know, a pride. And as the Bible said, pride goes before the fall. Now listen to the mocking of high priest and scribe. Because it's more than mocking. It actually manifests the magnitude of God's mercy. It has, uh, their, their, their mocking was, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. They acknowledge that Jesus' miracles and powers, Jesus actually saved or healed many others. But Jesus cannot save himself. Is that Jesus cannot cannot save himself? They are not aware that Jesus' saving power was intended and extended to sinners, include them. Jesus could save others, but did not save himself. That's the question they brought. It's a puzzle. He has a power, but he's not using it for himself. You know, that's a great question about the gospel. Why didn't Jesus save himself? Why? Why? Because Jesus came to save sinners, not himself. Our Lord came to save and serve and suffer for sinners. It was not that Jesus can can come down from the cross. He won't come down from our crosses, brothers and sisters. Fleming Rutledge, in his book, Measure of Love, he said this. When you reflect upon the Jesus Christ hanging on the cross of shame, you understand the depth and weight of human sin. How do you measure the size of a fire? By the number of firefighters and the fire engines sent to fight against it. How do, you measure, how do you measure the seriousness of a medical condition? By the amount of risk the doctors take in prescribing dangerous antibiotic or surgical procedures. How do you measure the gravity of sin and the incomparable vastness of God's love for us? By looking at the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus. By looking at the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus, who became like a common criminal for our sake, in our place. This mockery reveals the magnitude of God's mercy for us. He saved others but cannot save himself. Jesus loves us more than himself. And for that he was willing to bear the cross. For that he was willing to be coronated on the cross. Now let me close uh, today's sermon with uh, Martin Hengel's uh, quote. Paul said in the uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. The message of a cross is a foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is a power of God. The Greek word for the foolishness, the word of cross is a folly. The Greek word is a moron, moron, or moria. That's where the English word moron Crucify Christ is a moron. That's what Paul said. And the Greek word, you know, moron, that Paul used here does not denote uh, either intellectual defect nor lack of a transcendental wisdom. Uh, something more involved. Uh, and then later, church father, Justin Martyr of the early 1st century, Puts on the he described the offense caused by christian message of the cross to the ancient world as a madness in greek word mania or mania mania and see the basis of this objection in christian belief in the divine status of a crucified jesus and is the significance of a salvation in this way we have a quote there in his book apologia he said this They say that our madness consists in the fact that we put a crucified man in the second place after the unchangeable eternal God, the creator of the world. Let me repeat that. Non-Christians call gospel madness because we put a crucified man in second place after the unchangeable eternal God, the creator of the world. Non Christians in the early church were shocked and offended that Christians put crucified in the center of the Trinity, of a belief, Trinity, in the God they believe. Look at me now. And that's why Paul said to those who perish, the crucified Christ. Is nothing but a madness and nothing but a uh, nothing but a moronic. But to those who are being saved, this is a magnitude of God's mercy, not just any God's love. This is an infinite God's love. Dear brothers and sisters, we are embraced by this merciful God. And that is a Palm Sunday's endpoint. That is a Christ came for, and He was a crown for. And that's where Christ reigned our life. Let's pray.